Hello and welcome to yet another Agile podcast where we turn a critical lens on the state of Agile. I'm Michael Callahan and I'm your host and I'm glad you're here. Yet another Agile podcast is brought to you by Mindset 180. At Mindset 180, we put the I, the individual, back into Agile. So language can be a funny thing. The meaning of words and phrases we use today may be miles away from their original intent. Take silly. It's a common word, and when you hear it, you might think ridiculous, absurd, clownish. (laughs) If you look back to the origin of the word silly, silly meant happy or blessed. The meanings of words sometimes change to fit the times. It's a linguistic phenomenon. It's called semantic drift. Now, Agile development hasn't been around for 900 years. The manifesto was only published in 2001, and Scrum only predates it by a few years. But the popularity of Agile and Scrum has made their language commonplace. And like any language, words and phrases change to fit the times. Some see this as the co-opting of the language of Agile and Scrum to suit their own purposes, and, and maybe that's true. Others see it as a way for Agile and Scrum to stay relevant as we learn what works and what's lacking. Either way, it creates confusion at the very least. Roles, practices, artifacts, the language is rife with semantic drift, so we have to ask the question, Do we change the meaning of these words and phrases to fit the times, or do we need to speak a new language? I was first introduced to Agile development in 2001. I was working as a software developer for a smallish software company. It wasn't Scrum. It was more like extreme programming or XP. I became fascinated by the subject. But at the time, the Agile movement was in its infancy. So I joined the others in my profession, reading books, blogs, articles. I mean, the amount of information available was, was nothing compared to what it's, what's available today. But we wanted to learn. We wanted to see what we could do with it. That led me to Scrum, probably around 2003, 2004, and then SAFE, the Scaled Agile Framework, 2011. A lot has changed in 22 years, especially the language of Agile. Well, well, the the meanings of the words and phrases, that is. One of the most significant and probably controversial shifts has to be around roles. Over the past two decades, Agile has given us three new roles. Two of them are from Scrum, the Scrum Master and the Product Owner. And the other emerged from the Agile movement itself. That was the role of the Agile Coach. Let's talk about Scrum Masters. The Scrum Master as a profession has exploded over the years. It's not surprising when you consider the success of Scrum in capturing massive market share among Agile frameworks. And it it took a while to get there. And over time, in a lot of minds, Scrum became synonymous with Agile. If you were going to be doing anything Agile, you were going to be doing something that resembled Scrum. And that meant you needed a Scrum Master. Now, when I was first introduced to Scrum, the Scrum Master was was just a role. I was a senior developer working on a small team. I wrote code, but I also took on the role of Scrum Master. 
at the time, the Scrum Master loosely translated to the person on the team who knows the most about Scrum. Within the next few years, as Scrum became more and more the normal way of doing things, my company started recruiting people specifically to be Scrum Masters. But there was no job family for Scrum Masters. So the people they recruited were most likely project managers or development managers. That was the beginning of the semantic drift. It's an effect that still exists today. Some Scrum Masters today will refer to what they do as managing a Scrum team. In that case, the name of the role is the same, but the meaning has changed. There's, there's a lot of pushback on that, don't get me wrong. And again, I'm not passing judgment. It's just that the meaning of the words in some people's interpretation have changed. The other path that caused the drift comes from a lot of the same folks who were pushing back on the Scrum Master as manager people. As agile coaches started to become more commonplace, some interpreted the Scrum Master to be the coach of the team, maybe maybe a little closer to the original definition, but, but not quite. Yes, the Scrum Master is supposed to help the team self-organize. The Scrum Master is supposed to embody the values and principles of Agile and Scrum, but coaching is only part of what the Scrum Master does. There's, there's yet another interpretation, and that is Scrum Master as facilitator. Yes, it's true. The Scrum Master is responsible for ensuring that the team ceremonies occur and that they're productive. But I've observed situations where the team uses the Scrum Master to to not only take care of the Scrum ceremonies, but just about every meeting that team has, to the point of the Scrum Master being administrator, facilitator, documenter of every group interaction, you know, meeting that the team has. More drift. I think what it comes down to is this. The success of Scrum is a little bit of its own worst enemy. Almost by default, if you're going to be doing something agile, it's going to look like Scrum. And so you will need a Scrum Master. But that may not be what you really need. You may need someone to do project management, people management, agile coaching, facilitation, some of which are and some of which are not contained in the original meaning of Scrum Master. Now, it's it's not limited to the role of Scrum Master. Product owner. Product owner is the other Scrum role that's been a victim to semantic drift. In the beginning, the product owner was the person in the organization who had the authority to determine what the teams would work on. It could have been an executive in the organization. It could have been a product manager. Just whoever could make the decision on what work came next whoever had the vision for the product. Now, over time, that meaning changed. One thing that led to the drift in the PO role was what was missing from Scrum. Well, it isn't technically missing. They just weren't explicit. In defining the teams, there was no distinction between the traditional siloed roles, developer, tester, analyst. Instead, everyone on the Scrum team, aside from the Scrum master and the product owner, is a team member. So what happened? In a lot of teams, this is how the conversation unfolded. Huh. We used to have someone whose job it was to write requirements. We don't have that anymore. Oh, I know. That must be the product owner. They write the requirements. Only we'll call them user stories. That'll make us really agile. 
It, it, it ha- also hasn't helped that when you scale Agile, when that came onto the scene, right, every product, every team needed a product owner, right? Scrum Guide says so. So we'll have a product owner that doesn't own the product. Because the product is a collective work of multiple teams. And we can't call them partial product owners. And backlog prioritizer doesn't sound particularly sexy. Once again, the original intent, the original role, was adapted to reflect the needs of the organization instead of an organization adapting to the meanings of the definitions of Scrum. It's not limited to Scrum and Scrum terms. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the role of the Agile coach. Agile coaches have been around pretty much since the beginning of Agile. But who they are and what they do has evolved over time, like like everything else. If nothing else, it gets confusing. In the beginning, agile coaches were these grizzled veterans of application development. They they took the the the, the whole doing it and helping others to do it part of the agile manifesto very very seriously. They were developers. Over the course of the first decade of Agile, a new breed of coach began to emerge. They started to focus more on the process of Agile, the rise of the methodologist coach. That was going to change as the 2000s turned into the 2010s. Lisa Adkins published a book around then, Coaching Agile Teams. Great book, by the way. This opened up a whole new era of professional coaching. Now when you thought of an Agile coach, were you talking about the developer coach? Were you talking about the process coach? Were you talking about the behavioral coach? Maybe all three? Uh, That was a a great time for coaching. It was kind of the, the dawn of the golden age for Agile transformation. Well, at least for the Agile transformation industry. And that led to the age of scale. Now we had team coaches, program coaches, portfolio coaches, enterprise coaches. Coaching began to look a lot more like consulting. So let's add that to the list. We have technical coaches, process coaches, behavioral coaches, agile consultants. Oh, and by the way, what level in the hierarchy was that coach's specialty? But still, we were all called agile coaches. Now, even though the role of the agile coach had many different meanings, it really hadn't gone through a dramatic case of semantic drift. That happened later. It happened 2019, 2020, give or take. It was a gradual shift. What was that drift? Well, well, one thing that being an Agile coach used to mean you were an expert, an experienced expert. Coaches had Agile wisdom. They had the knowledge, they had the experience, and they had the judgment What did it become? Well, it started to mean whatever an organization needed an Agile coach to be. Trainer? Okay. Coach? Sure. ALM tool implementer? Uh, What? Documenter of corporate Agile standards? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What, What did you just say? Enforcer of corporate Agile policies. Well, now you have gone just too far. The meaning of words evolves to meet the times. I, I think that's something that, uh, that you have to get used to. The success of Scrum and Agile coaching have made them part of everyday speech, but the times change. And we're already bought in. Is, is it right? 
Well, if anything, it's confusing. But until we come up with a better idea, it's where we're at. So, so look beyond titles and think about accountabilities. Companies, companies, does the way you've defined your roles, does it express your needs? Job seekers, does the way the company has defined the role jibe with your values? Scrum master, product owner, agile coach, they don't always mean what they did in the past. In a way, the same thing could be said about the meaning of agile. But that's a story for another day. And we'll be back after the break to answer some burning questions that have come in. You are listening to yet another Agile podcast brought to you by Mindset 180. Yet another Agile podcast is brought to you by Mindset 180. At Mindset 180, we put the I, the individual, back into Agile. This week, we have a question that came in from Patrick. Patrick asks, Uh, What do I tell my manager when he wants me to translate user story points into hours? Well, Patrick, well, Patrick, a couple things there. Um, You don't have to use story points. They're a good idea. If, If the requirement is, if the constraint that you have is that you have to somehow estimate things using days, hours... Um, so be it. You'd, you'd have to do that. You just, you just can't call them story points. Right? Story points, by definition, are unitless. They're arbitrary. Right? There may be a need. There may be a constraint. And, and, and understanding that, having that discussion with your manager about why. You know, wh- why do we need to do this? Why do we need those hours? Because you know, it, it, could be, it could be a legitimate reason. Um, if you're looking at doing cap R&D, right, you, and, and your, your time tracking system can't handle it or you're trying to figure out a way to do that, they may need to, after the fact, know how many hours were spent on something. That's, that's fine. Um, that's after the fact. That's recorded time. Where, where you don't want to get tripped up is using it to predict, to estimate, to try and you know, give that air of potential accuracy to estimates. That's why we do relative estimation in the first place. Right? So, so what I would recommend is, uh, you, know, you know, the other thing is, if you're going if you, if to stick with story points, you're going to stick with story points, and they need this hour reporting for finance reasons, you know, whatever they are, um, you might end up having to have your teams task their work out. Once you get down to the task, you can start talking about hours. And if you're trying to collect the, the data after the work is done, okay, great. How long did you work on that task? I'm okay with that. Um, the problem is, the downside is that your team will not be as, as fast as they would be if they didn't task out their stories, their, task out their stories and give the, the hours to it. So you'll also have to explain to 
you, you well, you know, you don't have to, but it'd be nice of you to explain to your manager if that is the requirement. We're going to task out our stories. We'll associate hours with that. We'll keep track of how many hours we work on on these tasks. Um, you're going to do that, but you're actually going to take a performance hit in order to do that. You know, if you're going to meet that requirement, there's a cost. There's a cost to everything. Um, let them know uh, that that's that's the case. And if the decision is that it's worth the cost, then you you kind of have to accept that. Um, hope that's hope that's helpful. Hope that's helpful to you. Uh, good luck with that. I had a question that was asked to me. I was doing a training class uh, a week or so ago, and, and this question came up, and I wanted to I, I wanted to repeat it because it was an interesting question to me. Uh, we were talking about the Agile Manifesto, the values and principles of the Agile Manifesto, and 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 the question was, you know, the real world is different than the book. What are your non-negotiables? And it was like, hmm. I had to think about that for a second, and 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 I, I came to the conclusion that when it, looking at agile principles, I believe that there is only one non-negotiable, and that is that our top priority is to satisfy the customer. Okay, that's it. That's the one non-negotiable. The other items in the in the the the, the manifesto they 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 operate on more of a spectrum. Right? It's going to depend on what organization you're in because how we do that. How do you have satisfied customers? Well, we're going to deliver things early and often. Well, what early and often means to one company is going to mean something different to another. Amazon can release I don't know how many times a day. They can put things into production a bunch of times a day. But for other organizations in other markets with other customers, that may not fly. So that's negotiable. You know, and some of them are, are intentionally built that way. You know, they, they say deliver working software in a couple of weeks to a couple of months and they prefer the shorter time frame. Well, right there, they've given you a lot of flexibility in there. I think, I think it's been translated over time to be, you know, oh, it must be the shortest possible thing because technology has allowed us to get more and more rapid. But we have to take into account our own constraints, our own customers, our own capabilities, and always strive for getting better, but also forgive ourselves when we don't hit utopia. Uh, the last one, the last one, the last principle to, to kind of give an example uh, I would talk about is it is true. It is a truth that face-to-face communication is the best way to get information into or within a team. However, we have a global workforce. We're, we live in a distributed world. It doesn't mean we can't be agile. We do the best we can. We come as close as we can to face-to-face. But we understand that, again, we're going to we're have to be reasonable about it because, because you can't expect people to be up at, at, at 2 o'clock in the morning to sit in on a, a refinement session every week. Well, thank you for listening. I hope, I hope it gave you some food for thought. If you'd like to reach me, you can send me an email at mcallahan at mindset180.com. That's M-C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N at mindset180.com. Or, or look me up on LinkedIn. It's Michael Patrick Callahan. Send me your burning questions. Praise me for my brilliance. Lambaste me for my ignorance. 
We'll be back in two weeks for another installment of yet another Agile podcast. As always, I am your host, Michael Callahan, and I appreciate your time. Stay agile, my friends. What were you thinking of when you thought it might be love? You said I do. I said it too. Together for